Welcome to Remnant Christian Center's podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message. That's hard to explain what I'm feeling right now. Mark chapter 1, verse 32. I'm not a, a, you know, a a feely, feely type of guy, but I just feel like just electricity just running running all through me. Um, So Mark chapter 1 verse 32. We're in part four of a series that I've entitled Unstoppable Force because there's things that are, that, that are limited. There are things that are stoppable. But in your life, there is actually a force that is unstoppable. Nothing can stop it, even when you're in prison, even if you're sick, even if you're behind bars. Nothing can stop the invisible force of prayer that comes out of your mouth to the heavens. You could pray for someone that's bound up in China, and you're in Florida, and in a split second, that force goes to heaven if you're praying in the name of Jesus and God answers your prayer. There is no other weapon greater in your spiritual life, hear me, other than the Word of God and prayer. There is no other weapon. As a matter of fact, if you don't have those weapons active in your life, you will be a a subpar, mediocre Christian the rest of your life with very little victory or very little breakthrough. I want you to see, I'm entitling this fourth installment, Jesus, the model of the unstoppable force. The first week I talked about what prayer was and what really prayer originated in Genesis chapter 1 when he says, let them have dominion. In other words, from that day forward, he realized, we realized that God has to be obedient even to his own word. That means he just can't float around like a spirit being. He had to come as a man because he said, let man have dominion. So now heaven is the earth and the Lord, the Bible says, the earth belongs to humanity. Amen. Say amen. The second week, we talked about what is binding and loosing. What does binding and loosing mean, you know, in the, in the spirit, in prayer? What does he give? He says to Peter, I've given you the keys of the kingdom. Listen, put your name on that. I've, I've given Donnie. I've given Joey. I've given uh, Pablo the, the keys to the kingdom. Last week, we talked about effective prayer. What is effective prayer? G- James said the fervent, effective prayer of a righteous man avails much. And we talked about part of the effect of prayer is in context of relationships. Remember? A lot of times we think we could just pray and have false relationships or wrong relationships with others. And God says, no, you need to pray effectively. The Bible says, and this is a review from last week uh, before we read the scripture, that if husbands are not honoring their wives, our prayers will be hindered. In First Peter, so that so it, 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 you can't have offense with somebody and continue to say that you have a vibrant prayer life. You can't. And if you do, you're deceived. I love you, but you, you're deceived. doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. If you have constant ought against someone because you're either overly spiritual or overly religious or because you have some real pain and real anger issues against uh, injustice, either way, it's still not going to be effective prayer. You must get things right. Now, today, we're going to talk about Jesus as the model of a, a unstoppable force of prayer. I want you to see the secret that Jesus had this secret that every ministry flow that came out of him, every ministry flow that came out of him was connected to his place in prayer. A lot of ministries nowadays, especially young ministers, they're so ready to go and shake the world, but they have no prayer life or they have a very little one. They just want to shake the world. They say, I don't have time for prayer. No, you don't have time not to pray. Now, look at Mark chapter 1, verse 32. 
This is all at your disposal, guys. You don't need a theological degree to to operate in this. You don't need a, a pastoral degree. You don't need theological degree. You just need the Holy Spirit through repentance in Jesus. And if you're saved, that's you. Look what Jesus said in verse 32. Jesus says in Mark 1, 32, At evening when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were, who were demon-possessed. And, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. You know, we read that and we're like, wow, praise God. No, the whole city. Could you imagine if all the Apocalypse was gathered at that door? All of the city of Apocalypse were just waiting to get in because there's a man named Jesus that answers prayer, that heals and delivers. The Bible says all the city was at the door. Then he healed many who were sick and various diseases and cast out many demons. And he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Now, before we go to the next verse, we would say, man, that is powerful. And you may say to yourself, some of you who are new or beginners to the Lord, you may say, well, that was, that's, that, that's because he's Jesus. He's God. That's why he does those things. Yes, he's fully God, but we have to remember that he is fully man. And though he is fully God, he had to, listen to me, he had to be fully obedient and dependent on the Holy Spirit as a man and in prayer for him to walk this life in victory. As a man, he had to fully surrender to prayer and the Holy Spirit. Now you see all these demons cast out, you see the whole city coming out, and you see everybody getting healed. Look at the secret to his success. Usually the secret is done before, but now the Lord reveals the secret of his custom of why these things happen. Look at verse 35, after he, after he healed many and after he cast out so many uh, people. Now in the morning, see, can I just say this? Many young ministers would be like, man, did you see how God used me last night? Did you see the miracles? Did you see the demons? Man, I'm going to take a break now because whew, I, deserve, I worked hard last night. In the morning, having risen up long before daylight, he went out to a departed place, a solitary place, and there he prayed. You want to know the secret of Jesus's power was not just that he is God. Yes, we know that. And he is divine. But the secret of his power is that he did not uh, relegate signs and wonders just as a gifting. He had a continual connectivity with the Father. He was tired. Listen, I've traveled itinerant ministry. I'm tired the next morning. I'm like, it's my day to relax. Prayer could go a little bit later because I just flowed in signs and wonders and people got blasted in the Holy Spirit and they got saved. He woke up before the sun rose. And he went to a solitary place, and he didn't have meetings. He didn't have conferences. He didn't text. He wasn't on Facebook. He wasn't on, I know they don't have Facebook in there, but I'm just modernizing it. He, did, he wasn't on social media. The first thing he opened, come on, guys, you know that's you sometimes. You wake up, you're like, oh. That's my, my, my yawn selfie. Oh. Or you put pajamas on. Look so cute. The first thing that Jesus did when he woke up was not take a picture of himself or take a selfie or, or, or even blast on, on whatever thing, what he was doing. He went to a solitary place and he prayed. My friends, if Jesus had to do that, what makes you think we are exempt from that? I want to say something very bold right now, and I want you to listen very well. Prayer sometimes is, is lessened because we hear it a lot. Or we come, we come from certain movements, so it's like, oh yeah, I heard that before. And the greatest threat to your vibrancy is what you are familiar to. I'm going to say that again. The greatest threat to an alive heart is what you are accustomed to. What you're, oh, I, know, I know that. Go ahead, move on to some other revelation. No, this is a revelation. 
Just because you heard it before doesn't mean that you're walking in it. You can hear great messages on prayer, but let me tell you something. You need to start realizing and be that revelation instead of just hearing it with your ears and mind. Now, why do I say this? Because Jesus knew the necessity of the practice of every ministry outlet coming from the context of prayer. Everyone, you have to understand that, that as a, a matter of fact, Jesus did nothing without, nothing without communicating to God in prayer. How do you know that? In one of the other Gospels, Jesus said this, the Son of Man can do nothing, nothing, unless he first sees his Father doing it. How did he see it? Yes, he's God. How did he see it? He saw it in the spirit realm through the, through the relationship with the Father. And when he had the relationship with the Father, the Lord told him what to do. As a matter of fact, I don't have, to, uh, I don't have time, but there's other places in the book of Luke. I believe it's in Luke 6. that he, The Bible says he spent all night in prayer. Now watch this. He says, and the next morning he, he chose his disciples. Now, it doesn't say that he was praying for his disciples, but you could put two and two together. What he was doing all night, he was, about, he was praying to the Father. I'm about to choose the people that are going to change the world forever. Ever. I'm not going to take this lightly. He spent all night in prayer. You know, it modernized. You know what he was doing? Lord, show me my 12. Show me who is going to run with me to change this world. Matthew. Tax collector? Okay, you'll find him over there. Bartholomew, you're going to have this, you're going to have these, the, the Luke, and you're going to have the, the you know, John and beloved, and he's going to be a sweet man. Just remember that. He was all night in prayer, and the Lord was revealing to him, can I be honest with you, the infrastructure of his ministry. If you want true, long-lasting ministry, you have to have leaders. Listen, I say this, and I say this publicly now. I honor all my leaders here. I cannot be in this place of promise if it wasn't. Listen, for every David, there's David's mighty men. And I have some David's mighty men and women here that have taken the load of discipleship. Why? Because a true apostolic fivefold ministry does not carry everything on one person. And so Jesus exemplified this model of prayer. So he realized prayer was the most important part of his life. Prayer was the most important part of Jesus' life. Now watch this. I want you to see this real good. He didn't, listen, Jesus didn't pray necessarily just so he could get results or get a good sermon. A lot of times we pray when we're trying to get a sermon or when we're trying to get results. Jesus didn't pray to get results. He got results because he prayed. Put that slide up so they can know. Put that first slide up. Look at what, look at what, I want you to write this down. That first graphic slide up, the, po- the, the point on there. Help him out, Zach, if you can. Jesus didn't pray so that he could have great results. He had great results because he prayed. Can I, you know the Lord showed me yesterday? Is, and I, I'm, some of you are going to get too spiritual and get mad at me when I say this, but li- listen to what I'm saying. It's the same principle even when giving wisdom to others. Now, I'm not saying I got to go pray about it is bad. I'm not saying that, so don't, don't, go, don't get religious on me. But if we have a continual flow of prayer, sometimes when somebody call, tells you or asks you certain, something that requires wisdom, you don't have to say, wait, let me go ahead and pray. You'll, you'll be f- so filled with prayer that you have the answer right there. The wisdom of God there. Now, that doesn't mean that there's not wisdom and you saying, let me get back to you and I'll pray. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that there is a possibility, just like Jesus. Jesus didn't pray so he could get results. His continual life of prayer got him results everywhere he went. So, so you want success in your job? You want success in your school? You want success in, 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 in wisdom, in raising your kids? Have that connectivity in the Lord and do not let any open door, watch this, I'm going to get to this in, the, in this message, any open door of business or ministry 
shortcut that discipline in your life. Because when open doors happen, we tend to forget about all the stuff that got us there. And we neglect prayer time and we travel. And I've seen ministers that the Lord, not the devil, the Lord is opening up great doors for them to travel. And the first thing they tell me after two years, and they traveled the globe. I'm talking about the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit. Open doors, like over 500 invitations in a year. And they tell me privately, I lost something. With all my travels, I sacrificed my prayer time with the Lord. And I want you to see something because I'm going to harp on something in just a minute. I'm going to harp on one verse throughout the rest of the day here in the next uh, minutes because of the Lord. I'm going to go to 1215 if that's okay with you. Amen. Amen. See how I said amen? I didn't give you a chance to, 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 to answer yes or no. I want to give you some quotes Jesus left a deep impact on the apostles' life because of his prayer life, so much so that the people that followed him mimicked his ministry out of a lifestyle of prayer. Everywhere in the New Testament, ministries were birthed like the apostles. Their ministries were bathed in personal, personal private prayer. How different it is from the book of Acts to the American church today. Where ministries that are being erected left and right have no emphasis whatsoever on prayer. And you know what we do? Buckle your seatbelts because I'm going to offend some of you. Not me, but the Holy Spirit is. Some of you think that's not my flavor or that's not my movement. It's not about a flavor. It's not about a movement. It's about scriptural. Now, I want to give you some quotes from great revivalists. Now, remember, I'm a revivalist at heart. Some of you, I love revival. How many love revival? You cannot get true revival without a personal, vibrant prayer life. Please, please, please. It's not for intercessors only. It's not for a movement only. It's for the body of Christ. If you want revival, there may be, there has to be times that you cancel some things and cry out to God. Why do you think as a senior pastor I'm leading prayer? Because I want revival. And you know what? I really don't care if there's five people here. I'm just, I'm so like, I'm ready to pray. And I'm crying out to God for, because I want revival. Look at these quotes. This quotes from historical revivalists on the importance of prayer. These are people that were, were used mightily, watch this, to preach the gospel and save people. Here's the balance. Here's the balance. God doesn't want you just to park on a glory cloud and just pray and not have uh, 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 that activity to affect people. The Great Commission will come out of a place of prayer. I'm going to say that again. Evangelism and outreach will come out of a place of prayer. Not just you in the glory cloud, feeling the, the presence of God, quoting, uh, quoting things that you, that, you, that you see or read about and not doing anything about it. All right? The world is not going to change by you uh, uh, doing, uh, sharing things on Facebook. Praise the Lord for that. But the world is going to change when you get his heartbeat in prayer and then go out and be a witness. What's the purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Come on, theologians. So that you could be a witness. Not so you could be. Oh, wow. Look at the glory of God. What, what are you doing with that? What are you doing with the shaking? The baptism of the Holy Spirit, so you could be, so you could be witness. How about the Book of Acts when the Holy Spirit came and and they were filled with the Holy Spirit? The church started from the Book of Acts from a prayer meeting, and then they went out. Listen, they didn't just hang out in the glory cloud. They went out and said, "Ooh, we got filled. We got the heartbeat of God. Let's go." See how it's both. Look at these revival quotes. Look at the first one. Martin Luther, the famous reformist, Martin Luther, said, As is the business of tailors to make clothes and cobblers. You could tell that was an old language. Cobblers to make shoes. So it is the business of Christians to always pray. 
It's a business, not business like money. It's, 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 you're, it's you cannot survive without it, all right? Look at the next, look at the next quote from the next uh, revivalist. How many know Charles Spurgeon, who Charles Spurgeon is? Now, he was a, the, uh, well, they were called the prince of preachers. He could preach up a storm. Just to let you, let you know, all you preachers out there, you can't do it just on preaching alone. Look what he said. I would rather teach, whoa, glory to God, I'm really excited right now. I would rather teach one man to pray than ten men to preach. If a man could but pray, he can do anything. He who knows how to overcome with God in prayer has heaven and earth at his disposal. Come on, somebody. He who knows how to pray. Do you realize when you pray, you're invoking heaven? You don't understand because I just got two yeses. The greatest preacher of the era of that century said, I'd rather teach, I'd rather teach one man to pray than ten men to preach. To me, that was shocking because he wasn't known as a man of prayer. When you think of Charles Spurgeon, you think of the, the, the thousands of sermons that he spoke. It's a powerful reality. Can I hear an amen? And so Jesus said, if we got to be careful that we want that we when we say prayers like I want to be more like you, because being more like him involves holiness, involves yes, the power, but it also means involve living like him in his prayer life. You say, I don't believe that. Look at first John. Look at that scripture. Look at first John. I don't want you to see verse two. Sorry, chapter two, verse six. First John chapter two, verse six. Look at what it says. And he who says he abides in him. Ought himself, uh-oh, here's an ouch moment, also to walk just as he walked. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Jesus, I mean, Pastor George, that's impossible. Come on. I, I can't walk exactly like Jesus walked. Then, why, then we're refuting Jesus' own words because in another scripture, he turns to his disciples and he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you. Every time I read that, I feel like speaking in like King James. Like, verily, verily, I say unto thee. No, but he says, he says, verily, verily, I say unto you, the works that I do, you will do also, and get this crazy thing out, greater works. I would drop the mic right now. <laughs> it's expensive, so I won't do that. I felt like just going like that. Jesus said, listen, listen. He who says he abides in him also, also ought to walk as he walked. Some of you think that's impossible. No, you have the Holy Spirit. You have the mind of Christ. You have the power of God inside of you. You have the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you, that doesn't mean you know all things, and that doesn't mean you can float through walls. But it does mean that you could walk like him in the culture that he had in prayer. And Jesus didn't so much teach prayer, he lived prayer. And his greatest teacher was his life. They would look at him, wake up early in the morning, they're like, man, I want what he wants, what he has. My God, he, he just had a crusade of thousands of people coming, and he's waking up early. And of all the things that the disciples said they could have learned, and I said this before, but I'll say it again. I, if I was one of the disciples, I would have said, Jesus, teach me how to walk on water. That was really cool what you did to Peter over there. Jesus, can you tell me how to, like, like, you know, cast out demons like that you did? But because they watched Jesus' life, they said, teach us how to pray. Out of all the things to ask Jesus to teach them, not the miracles, not the walking on water, not the raising of the Lazarus from the dead, that's pretty cool stuff. He said, teach us how to pray because there's something about your life that we notice. Every time we look at you, you're constantly in a communication with the Father. 
And I realized that that's where true victory comes from. Can you teach us? Glory to God. And so this is a scripture that I want to harp on for the next 10 minutes here. Luke chapter 5. Are you getting something this morning? Luke chapter 5, look at verse 12. We're going to go through 15, and then I'm going to wait for, the, for, for verse 16 in a, in a little bit. But I want you to see, and I'm going to harp on about four words in this, in this phrase that I want you to write notes and take notes about Jesus. We're talking about Jesus as the model, right? I want you to notice, church, please hear me, how Jesus was so disciplined and not allowed open doors. Not for sin. Not, we're not even going to talk about that. Open doors of blessing. I want to shift it a little bit this morning. How many of you have been in the season at, at one point in your life where you just saw the blessing of God come on you? Or you got so busy in the blessing of God, something that you used to pray for, and now God brought it to you, and now you're so busy doing what you love to do in your dream. How many, how, how many of you that? Okay. If you're not careful, in the goodness of the open doors and the opportunities to, that, that are coming to you, you could forget the discipline of what it got you, those results. I want you to see something. Are you ready? What I'm about to read is the modern-day example of the greatest revival ministry we've ever known. What I'm, what I'm about to read is as if TBN and all these things are lining up to see. What, what if those of you who are called to preach, if you got an email tomorrow and said, we have just been hearing about you in the secret place. For some reason, God gave us visions, and we want to book you to travel. And then and you get an invitation here, and then you get an invitation here, and then camera people, and the news people are saying, show us what you're doing. You're going to be like, God is answering my prayer. He is going to use me to be a revivalist. Look at this. In one of the villages, Jesus met a man, and I want you to, uh, this is the NLT, okay? One of the men with advanced case of leprosy, when the man saw Jesus, he bowed with his face to the ground, begging to be healed. Lord, he said, if you are willing. Now remember, this is an advanced case of leprosy. That's an incurable disease. That, that's equal of today. Is, uh, what, what is what on the word? Okay, cancer. Let's say uh, four, stage four cancer. I mean, even believers would be like, I have faith, but bro, you probably. Let's be honest. Come on, let's just be honest. Most of the believers are like, oh, stage four, oh, gosh. I'm not saying that we don't believe God, but most believers that I've encountered are like, let me pray for a headache because I have more faith for that. But stage four cancer, this, this is like, the Bible says advanced leprosy. Advanced. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about things are in his face all disfigured because of the advanced leprosy. Look at this. Lord, he said, if you're willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Look, look, look at the next verse. Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing. And he said, be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared. That's a miracle of miracles. I'm not going to even harp on that. Let's, let's look at the next verse. Then Jesus instructed him not to tell anyone what had happened. He said, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. Now look at the worldwide ministry starting to happen now. Now, before I read this, before I read this, no, go, go, to verse, go to verse 15. Before I read this, I want you to know that before this happened, a chapter before, Jesus was spending 40 days in the wilderness, watch this, preparing for the ministry, fasting and praying. Before he started his ministry, he was in the wilderness for 40 days to prepare himself to preach for the first time. How many ministries start off like that nowadays? When you feel a call of God or you feel a business idea and you say, babe, I need to go 40 days to see how I'm going to do this thing. You just run. 
The Bible says after he came out of the wilderness, he came out with the spirit and power. And then, then you see this. This is a chapter later. But despite Jesus' instructions, the report of his power spread even faster. Are you ready for this? Are you ready? Look at this. Vast crowds came to hear him preach. Vast crowds and to be healed of their diseases. Don't go to verse 16 yet. That is a modern-day example of this man praying, open doors. Now everybody is coming to hear him. Think about the things that you've been praying about. And all of a sudden in your church or in your ministry or in your business, thousands of dollars starts coming in. All these doors start happening. Everybody is at your door saying, I want your product. I want your invention. I want you to speak at my camp. Come on. I want you to speak at my, I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be like, that is a sign of the Lord. I'm in. And there's nothing wrong with that. Most of us would take it as, you know, this is a sign of God's favor. Look at all the, look, look, everyone came to, it's two things. Not only they came here and preach, but he was a miracle worker. There are some people that can preach good and they don't flow in the anointing of God. And there's some people that flow in the anointing of God and they don't preach good. But Jesus had it all. Jesus was an incredible preacher that were gripped by the heart. And he was a miracle worker. In other words, great signs and wonders. So everyone wanted to see him. You would think that Jesus would say, listen, this is why, Jesus, why the Father gave, gave me here. This is why the Father sent me here. This is time. Look at all these doors. Look at all the, the Lord has been good. Are you ready for this? Oh, God. Listen to this. Verse 16. Verse 16. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. What? Jesus, look at all these open doors. Look at this revival ministry. He has given you the, the, the TBN is coming. God TV is coming. Partner conferences are lined up. Part, people want to give financially to the ministry. God's favor is on the ministry. Come on, somebody. That's what it's equivalent to. Oh, my God, Pastor George, look at what's happening. There's people lining up. People want to interview you. There's thousands of dollars coming for the work of the Lord. But Jesus often, thank you, guys, withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. Because Jesus did not get moved by success. Success did not stop the disciplines of prayer that he has, had already built up when he was a little, a little child growing up, yes, fully God, but growing up in the house of the Lord, he did not allow any even good temptation to steer him away. How many of us, when we have these great opportunities, we take advantage of them, we say, thank you, Jesus. And we do those open doors, and God is like, you have forgotten that what got you there is your daily discipline of prayer. And we forget. We forget. Hear me now. I'm going I'm to highlight, highlight a couple words. That word, but Jesus, is an indication prophetically that nothing, nothing, nothing will distract him from the daily disciplines of prayer that he had in his life. Jesus never let good opportunities of, or open doors steer him away from his connectivity to the Father. Put that slide up so they can know. Jesus, look at that. Jesus never let good ministry opportunities. No, yeah, you had it right. Jesus never let good ministry opportunities or open doors steer him from us, from, sorry, from his scheduled times of prayer. Now, don't put up those slides, Zach, if you could help out there. Now, I want you to see this. 
The importance of those disciplines is super important for you and I. Why? Jesus in his famous prayer of the Lord's Prayer, he said, let's say it together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Come on, some of you Catholics, you know this. (laughs) Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Watch this now. Ready? Give me this day. Give me this day. My daily bread. Look at me. No, Jesus is saying, I recognize that yesterday you had a vibrant time in prayer, but you need hot bread today, fresh. Don't park on your success. Come on. Don't park on your success of yesterday's victory. Don't park on the success of yesterday's prayer life. Don't park on the fact that at a conference last weekend, you got blasted by the Holy Spirit, and now you're just taking it easy. He said, as powerful as the bread was yesterday, you need new bread today. And unfortunately, the body of Christ is living off experience and experience instead of bread and bread. They're living off of yesterday's powerful experience. We're like, man, we could go on autopilot, man. That was good. And for three days, you're on like, whoa, cloud nine. Did you see how God broke in yesterday? God says, I don't care how powerful it was yesterday. You need fresh bread today. And I lovingly say this, some Christians are are satisfied eating stale bread, and they don't even know it's stale. They don't even know it's stale because they're not being consistent in that time of the word or prayer, so they're pulling from past experience. Come on! This is what Jesus is saying, but Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. I need the worship team to come up. I need the worship team to come up. I'm going to share for another five minutes or so. Please, please, please listen. How many are getting something this morning? How many be feeling provoked? So because here's the thing when it says to the but Jesus part, all right? When you pray, don't seek an experience. Seek a walk. Seek a journey. Listen, don't Come to prayer seeking a feeling. Come on, say, some, say amen. Don't come to prayer seeking a feeling. Watch this. Come to prayer seeking deposits. Oh, you didn't hear that. Don't come in your daily life in prayer seeking for a feeling because if you do, you will be greatly disappointed many days. But if you knew, how, how many, how many, okay, I'm just going to, be funny for a second. After you get paid for a while in your job, you know, at first you're like, oh my God, look at this paycheck. After a while, you're like, I need this paycheck. You're not going to get goosebumps when you get, after a while, you get the same paycheck. It's healthy and it's needed. You deposit in your bank. When you make deposit in your bank, you're not, gonna, you're not like, ooh, ooh. Oh, I just deposited my paycheck in my bank. I can pay my bills. Woo, this is so glorious. Oh, I love this. I'm going to keep depositing checks every single two weeks. Man, this is really good. No, you're like, I need, I'm going to hurry up, get to the bank. I'm going to deposit that check because I need to pay some bills. You don't, you don't have feelings attached to it. When you pray, you're making deposits from heaven in your life. But if you relegate it to only feeling, you're going to disvalue the importance of prayer. But you, what you don't know is happening that while you don't feel a thing, heaven is making deposits in your spirit. Heaven is making deposits in your mind. Heaven, heaven, Jesus is making deposits to shift things the way you think. You know, you talked to your husband a little bit bad the other day, and I want you to go be tender, and I want you to be, and you're like, oh, God, I don't want to do that. And then God washes you with his will, and you're able to love people rightly. All the wives are not, are not mad at me right now. <laughs> Just an example. 
Why? Because you have to see prayer as making deposits, not coming for a feeling. If I could be very transparent with you, one of the things that used to discourage me in prayer is because I never felt anything. And I made prayer unenjoyable until many years ago, the Lord gave me a revelation. You're coming for the wrong motives. You're coming about you, and it's coming about making, having me transform you and connecting with me. Don't you parents love when your kids just kiss you for no reason? You know, some of you, they kiss you like, okay, what do you want? <laughs> so, that, Dad, I love you. I'm like, what do you want? Oh, nothing. I just want to sleep over at my friend's house. <laughs> this happened before, really. I'm like, what do you want? But when you just say, God says, what do you want? He goes, I just want you. How do you feel as a parent when, some, when your kid just says, I just hug you just for you? No, Dad, Mom, I don't really want anything. Can we start playing something, guys? You know what happens? The Lord moves and makes deposits when you don't feel anything. Come on, say amen. The second thing that I see in this story is said Jesus often, now watch this, the word with, withdrew. Sorry, often. The word often. Jesus often. And I'm going to just harp real quick on often. The word often speaks of consistency, not just one time. The word often speaks of going uh, more than usual. And I'm glad that the Bible didn't say this. And Jesus woke up at 5 in the morning and prayed till 8 in the morning. Because then we will re relegate it to legalism. And we will be relegated to condemnation. Oh, Jesus prayed from 5 in the morning to 8. That means I have to wake up at 5 in the morning and pray till 8. Oh, my God. And we'll make an idol out of it. We'll make legalism out of it. But he said, he off I love the brilliance of the Lord because he didn't say what time. Now watch this, watch this, watch this. I say watch this a lot. Watch this. How much time do we need to have in prayer? Right? That's a golden question, right? Somebody say, well, can you not tarry an hour? Yes. But again, you could be in an atmosphere that's geared towards prayer and never engage at all. You could be five hours in a prayer room and engage for five minutes. I know, I used to do that. Not all the time, but there was times where I was on my phone. And the Lord said, are you really engaging all those times? Do you know that you could have a bed and never have a good night's sleep just because you have? Come on, somebody. You could have a bed and toss and turn, and the bed was made for you to have rest. And the bed, you're tossing and turning, and you wake up cranky because you didn't have a good sleep. Just because you have a bed doesn't mean you have rest. And just because you're in a position of, 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 of a prayer meeting doesn't mean you're engaging. So... What's the question? How much time is enough time for God? Because we have, if we don't answer that question, we'll be condemned all the time. Oh, man, I've only, I only spent 15 minutes with the Lord. And the other person says, oh, really, man? I spent an hour and a half with the Lord. It was glorious. You're like, are you ready for this? Here's the answer. How much time is enough time to spend with the Lord? Enough time to forget about time. Enough time where you don't go, oh, Jesus, I thank you, Father, for my mom. I thank you for my son. Thank you. Oh, gosh, I got more 15 more minutes to go. Lord, I thank you for all these things that are going to happen. And I thank you again for my mom. <laughs> no, it's, Lord, I come to meet with you. Lord, I'm asking you to, to, to encounter my son. And I, Lord, Jesus, and then you go into another adventure. Oh, your love is so good, Lord. <laughs> thank you. And then he reminds you about the prayer list again. Oh, God, pray for my mom. Oh, God. Oh, yes, Lord. Oh, thank you, Father. I love you. And you look, and you forget about time. 
Are you ready for this? Look, you know who Smith Wigglesworth is? is? You know, you know Smith Wigglesworth, bro. You know Smith Wigglesworth. What do we think of when we think of Smith Wigglesworth? Just power. Anointing. The, the dude was, was, was gangster. The, it's recorded that in his ministry, he raised 23 people from the dead. From the dead! And there was one time recorded that he literally took a dead man and threw him against the, against the wall. And he, he goes, be, be healed. Be alive. Hit the wall and he came back to life. I would have been like, if it doesn't work, I'm dead. <laughs> the family's like, throw that dead person, he's still dead. I'm like, that's the end of my ministry right there. <laughs> Look at Smith Wigglesworth. Watch this quote. I don't often spend more than half hour in prayer at one time. You may, oh, he has a shallow prayer life. Look at what he says. I don't often spend more than half hour in prayer at one time, but I never go more than half hour without praying. Smith Wigglesworth, the great man of faith. I don't often spend more than half an hour in prayer at a time. In other words, there's sometimes that I don't pray for two hours straight. He goes, but there's never a time that I'm not praying within the context of half hour. So that means there's times where he's praying for 15 minutes and he's connecting with God and then God says, go ahead and go ahead and, and, and touch that person over there and heal. And then maybe uh, another 20 minutes later, he's just going into intercession right now. That's what Paul says when he says, pray always. See, doesn't that strip you from condemnation? Doesn't, isn't this liberating? How much time is enough time to pray? Enough time to forget about time. But make a time to start. And then when you make a time to start, stick with it and then throw the watch away. I'm preaching better than you're saying amen. Jesus often, often, often went to the wilderness for prayer. Glory to God. The, la the, the next two is he said he withdrew. Now, withdrew is important because withdrawing is not just being alone. I know that people could be alone and never connect with God. That's called being lonely. God doesn't want you to be alone just for the sake of being alone. There's a difference between being alone and being alone and engaging with God. So what does withdraw mean? It means separating yourself from everything. Now, the, the way that you withdraw in prayer is you need, now watch, this is going to be hard. The, the, the 2018 definition of withdrawal is when you go to prayer, turn your TV off, turn your alerts off in your emails because you can't be looking at your emails while you're in prayer because that's not withdrawing. You're just alone, but you're not alone with God. You've got to be able to get to a place where you withdraw and shut off Twitter, shut off Instagram, shut off Facebook, shut off all these things, and you can't be like, oh, hallelujah, Jesus, blah, blah, blah. ding, oh, yeah, Jesus, oh. Yes, Lord. Come on, you know you do that. I do that sometimes. I'm like, oh, God, what am I doing? <laughs> withdraw means, withdraw means shut everything off. There is no way that you can withdraw and still be on Instagram or on Facebook. Withdraw means everything stops and it's just you and Jesus. There's a difference between being alone and being alone with God with no distractions. Because I know a lot of people who are alone in the name of spirituality, but they're not undistracted. And lastly, I want everyone to stand up. He said he went to the wilderness. I want to say this. I want to say this because of time. I believe that the wilderness is a place of sustained prayer. Because in the wilderness, God tests 
listen to me, the, the strength and authenticity of your prayer life is in the wilderness. It's in the wilderness where he strips away your emotions on, the, on, on having to come to God or not. G, the wilderness is used so that you, we won't be dictated to come to prayer or not to prayer based on how we feel. The wilderness is the testing ground of your prayer life. You want a deeper prayer life? If you could pray in the wilderness season, then you could pray in any season. If you could pray in the wilderness season, my friend, you could, listen, it tests your prayer life. Because if you could only pray when money is in the bank, when you could, if, you, if you could pray when finally you got a breakthrough and you've been silent and talking to God all these times, then you're not going to have victory. So many people shun away from prayer when dark times happen. They're like, you know what, where was God all this time? And you shut down. Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane in the most agonizing point in his life. You didn't see him say, oh my God, your father, what's happening? He prayed. And he's like, could you watch with me? And he was like begging his disciples to pray. And he came down the mountain in this greatest moment of distress. And he saw Peter <laughs> snoring. Can you not wait with me for an hour? I want to ask you guys, as we worship in the background here, I want to ask you guys, how can you strengthen your prayer life? Come on. And I want to ask your personal prayer life, not just corporately. And I want to ask something that I never have said, but I felt from the Lord. Are you experiencing a season of blessing and open doors in your life? Or are you about to? Because maybe you haven't. I want you to, I want you to remember this. Great crowds came to see Jesus preach. Great crowds came out the door. Partnership, ministry funds coming, no lack financially. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness to pray. Are you going to allow open doors to stop the discipline of what God wants to give you? Come on, let's lift up your hands right now. We're going to sing. We're going to sing. Thank you for tuning into our podcast. For more information about us, please visit remnantchristiancenter.com.